Welcome to the Battle Cry Podcast with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. You can watch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Convention of States Facebook and Rumble channels. Hey everyone, Mark Meckler here with the Sunday Night Battle Cry. I love being here with you for a couple of reasons. One, I love being here with you because you guys are grassroots and that's what I'm all about. It's what I do. It's what I love. And it's what gives me hope, by the way. And hope is essential. And I always have a battle cry theme, something I'm asking you to do. And a few weeks ago, my theme was don't lose hope. And I'm going to repeat that theme. <laughs> and I'm going to repeat that theme because I actually think it's one of the most important things that you could possibly do is to not lose hope. I want you to understand why. I mean, first of all, hope is just necessary for survival. If you're going to be in the fight, if you're going to vote, if you're going to run for office, if you're going to support Convention of States, all of those things require that you have some hope for the future. Because if you don't have hope, well, then why would you do any of those things, right? I wouldn't. If I lacked hope, I would just think, okay, I have no hope. Uh, you know, maybe I cocoon with my family, stock up on the food supplies and the ammunition. I recommend you do that anyway, and we already do. But if you don't have hope, then you just turn inward and you turn away from the world Hope is the light that gives us the ability to look outward in a dark world and think things might get better. Things could change. And my perspective, really, this is not just preaching, oh, you should have hope. I have a lot of hope for the future of this country. And the reason that I, in particular, have a lot of hope for the future of this country is because of you. And I mean that very specifically. I mean because of you personally. You're watching this. You're watching it because you want things to change. You're watching it because you want things to be better and likely and hopefully you're watching it because you're willing to do something to make things better. And I know you, I know you through Facebook. I know you, a lot of you personally, because I travel all around the country, whether you're in Nebraska or Kansas or North Dakota, or you're East in Maine, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Maryland, Connecticut, all of these places are places that I've been and there are places I'll go again. And when I get to go to those places, I meet great patriots. And I think this is something that surprises some people. Some of the places I mentioned are places that we consider very liberal. Uh, you know, if you talk about New Jersey or you talk about New York or Connecticut or Delaware, Eastern Seaboard in general, if you talk about California or Washington State, places like that, Oregon, people from conservative places, I live in Texas now, tend to look at those places and not turn up our noses, but shake our heads and think, huh, those places are lost. Nothing you could do with those places. And I feel very differently about all of those places. I've been in all of them. And every time I go to one of those places, I'm no longer surprised, but I'm pleased to meet awesome patriots. People on the ground, just like you, in all of those places who love God, who love their country, who love their families, who are patriotic, who are in the fight. A lot of people who've served in the armed forces. I mean, back when the armed forces were still good. All of these people all over the country no matter where you go. You know, you literally can go to the heart of San Francisco and find great patriots in San Francisco. You can go to the heart of New York City, to the heart of Manhattan and find great patriots in Manhattan. And again, I think people in Texas or Kansas or Oklahoma or places like that, South Dakota that are more conservative, Idaho, Utah, tend to look out at the coast and look at the more liberal places and think, yeah, those places are lost. And I don't agree because in all of those places is a remnant. So I'm here to tell you, don't lose hope because there's real reason for hope. I'm also here to tell you don't lose hope 
Because when you lose hope, what you do is exactly what the radical leftist, Marxist, anti-American, baby-killing communists want you to do. They want you to lose hope because they know hope is what keeps you going. Hope is what keeps you fighting. Hope is what keeps you volunteering. Hope is what keeps you donating money. So this is critically important that you never, ever lose hope. I will never lose hope. I will be in the fight forever for as long as I have breath in me, as long as I have the cognitive abilities. I mean, not like our president, but I mean, actual cognitive abilities. As long as I have those, those faculties, the stuff up here and the stuff right here and breath in my lungs, as long as God gives me those things, I will have hope and I will be in the fight. And one of my missions in life is to bring you that hope, is to remind you, is to let you know that hope is real, that it's not a false hope, that it exists, and that you should lean into that. There's plenty of darkness out there. And if you want the darkness, if you want to know all the bad stuff that's going on in the country, there are plenty of people who will deliver that to you cogently, in an entertaining way, do it really well. People that I admire and that I respect and that I love, people like Matt Walsh or Ben Shapiro or Michael Knowles or Dave Rubin or Glenn Beck or my good friend Mark Levin, I was on that show this week. And all of those people are going to give you all of the stuff that's going on out there. And almost all of it from what they present to you is dark. And I don't want you to only see dark. I want you to see the light. I want you to have hope. So I'm gonna encourage you to have hope. I'm gonna encourage you to look for the good stuff. I'm gonna tell you the good stories when I see them. We're gonna to start to focus on that more and more. And you know, people say that the good stuff won't sell. If it bleeds, it leads is kind of the adage of media. I don't believe that. I believe you gotta point out the dark stuff and you gotta see the dark stuff and you gotta know that stuff. But I also believe you gotta see the good stuff or you don't have hope. So we're gonna have some announcements probably in the next few months about some really hopeful stuff that we're doing. So again, I'm gonna encourage you, your specific call for this week, your action item, and I know I did it a few weeks ago, is don't lose hope. Keep the hope. And by the way, if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, you have the ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. So remember to focus on that anytime things get too dark for you. All right, we're going to start uh, with uh, a glimmer of hope. It's actually pretty dark too. It's a little bit of both. It's Hunter Biden's laptop. That's the story that keeps on giving. No matter what, it just keeps coming back. Maybe the nightmare that keeps returning, either or. Uh, you may want to look at this. You may not. Uh, you got to have a strong stomach if you're going to go look at it. If you go to BidenLaptopMedia.com, all of the photos on Hunter Biden's laptop have now been released publicly. And I want to give a caveat when I say all of the photos, There's they have screened out and they said it took them a long time. Anything that showed genitalia, can you imagine having that much genitalia on your laptop in your private photos that it takes months to screen out? Remember, this is the guy that President Joe Biden said is the smartest guy he knows. He's got lots of genitalia pictures on his laptop. Uh, so anyway, that's out of there. There's a bunch of nude pictures on there. It looks like those have screens on them as well. So that's a good thing. I went and looked a little bit before I was recording this. And, and what I found out was uh, that server, man, it's been burdened because a lot of people are looking. And so what we're seeing is the absolute debauchery, the corruption, the disgusting behavior, the despicable behavior, of Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, the guy that he is still traveling around the world with, the guy that he recently said has not done anything wrong and he has absolute faith in and is very proud of. That's the guy 
that is close to the president of the United States. So that story keeps on giving. I think it's going to keep on giving through the elections. It's going to keep on causing Joe Biden trouble. I think the mainstream media has picked it up to some extent, to a limited extent, but I think that's going to come back over and over again. I'm not saying you have to go look at those pictures, but if you want to, they are now out there for the public to see at bidenlaptopmedia.com. The next thing I want to point out, which is actually a measure of hope, but also darkness, is the passage of the Fiscal Responsibility Act, <laughs> which came out of the House of Representatives this week. I think you can call it the Fiscal Irresponsibility Act. They claim that it's cuts. It's not cuts. It's a prevention of some future growth. And really out of tens of trillions of dollars in future growth, it, it might maybe cut $1.5 trillion out. I think in the coming year, it cuts $12 billion out. I hate to say this. I'm I'm not wealthy, but $12 billion is a rounding error in government accounting. I think it's horrifying. If I had been in Congress, I would have absolutely voted against this. There were 75 Republicans who did vote against this. Good on you. Appreciate you for doing that. I don't know that Republicans could have done any better. Maybe they could have. I have a lot of faith in Chip Roy. He thinks they could have done better. He did a great job in negotiating with McCarthy when McCarthy was running for speaker. So hats off to Representative Chip Roy and other folks who are willing to stand strong and vote against the Fiscal Responsibility Irresponsibility Act. Here's the hope, though. Oh, my goodness. People are actually talking about fiscal responsibility. This is new, by the way. There was no talk of fiscal responsibility during the Trump administration. I know, I know some of you are going to be mad at me for saying that. And if you're a Trump fan, and I love a lot of the stuff that Donald Trump did as president, so I consider myself somewhat of a Trump fan, but I'm also going to call balls and strikes. That was a fiscally irresponsible administration. We didn't have anybody in Congress speaking out against profligate spending. And so it's good to me that some 75, 79 Republicans voted against this because of the spending. It's time that we get our fiscal house in order. Do I believe Washington, D.C. will actually do that? This is a place where I have no hope. No, I don't believe Washington, D.C. is going to do this just because it's the right thing to do. Washington, D.C. does things that are right when there's enough pressure for them to do things that are right, when the incentives are correct to have them do things that are right. And they just don't have those incentives or that pressure right now. And so that means we're going to have to impose that through a convention of states by imposing a balanced budget, by imposing tax caps, spending caps, putting the things in place that force them to be fiscally responsible. But I got to say, at least they're talking about fiscal responsibility right now. So that gives me a little bit of hope. So you should be hopeful on that one too. All right, this is really interesting. The presidential contenders continue to flow into the race. So of course, you know, we have President Trump in the race, the leading contender in the race by a long shot right now. We have Ron DeSantis in second place, by a long shot right now, way back from Trump right now, but way ahead of everybody else in the race. Then we have sort of what you would call the also ran category, right? So you've got Nikki Haley. Uh, we've got uh, Tim Scott announced his presidential run. You've got Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, it sounds like Chris Christie's going to get in the race. Why? I don't know. I, maybe he's bored. Maybe he's got nothing else to do. I don't know what lane he's going to run in. He's running as the, the anti-Trump. Is that his thing, the Trump hater? Yeah, I don't. I think Christie's time has passed. I just heard uh, before we started this that Mike Pence is about to enter the race. Why? Because we need a, a bland, old school, 
non-warrior kind of a guy who gave up on the bathroom bill when he was governor of Indiana who caved like a weak house of cards in the race? I'm not sure why. A lot more likely to come in. Uh, look, I got to point out some of my favorite stuff in the race. Trump, he is likely to seek vengeance if he's elected. And vengeance is both good and bad. I like the idea of some vengeance uh, on a lot of the deep state folks who did a lot of the really bad stuff. We want somebody that goes in there with the appropriate spine, who goes after these folks hard, who guts these agencies. And I do believe that that's something Donald Trump would do, but part of it is for personal vengeance and the personal vengeance can provide good incentive, but it can also take people off the rails. So I worry a little bit about his ability to control that personal vengeance. But I do think obviously he's a strong contender. We know what he's about. Although there's been some weirdness lately, I have to say. His position on abortion seems to be shifting. He attacked Ron DeSantis, he attacked Ron DeSantis for the signing the six-week ban in Florida, saying it was too harsh. I mean, if you're pro-life and you say a six-week ban is too harsh, I don't get that. He claims to be a pro-life guy, so I find that a little bit confusing. Like I said, I don't think he was great on the economy. I don't love all the profligate spending under Donald Trump. So there are things I don't like. I don't like the super volatile, super narcissistic personality stuff. But again, I want to say really clearly, I'm not picking a candidate here. Trump was a great president in the sense that he did more conservative stuff as president than any president in my lifetime. And I mean that more than Ronald Reagan. I hate to say that because I love Ronald Reagan as a person, but he just didn't do as much conservative stuff as Donald Trump did. And so I'm really proud to say I voted for Trump twice. And my attitude is on this whole race, by the way, I'm not picking a candidate. I'm going to call balls and strikes as I see them. And I'm not doing that for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is y'all have different candidates that you love. So don't get mad at me. I'm respecting you. right? I'm saying I'm going to go out there. I'm going to listen to you guys. I'm going to watch what happens in the cycle, in the news cycle, in the election cycle. And I'm going to comment on that stuff as it comes up. Ron DeSantis. Uh, so here's what I got to say about Ron DeSantis. I would say for those of you who say somehow he's kind of some leftist in hiding, I'm hearing this from some people where he's some deep state plant or, and you're saying this because of some of the people who support him. Hey, look, if you're going to run for president, you're going to have great people support you. And you're going to have some not so great people support you. And I don't judge a candidate just by the people who are supporting him. I'm going to look at that for sure. It tells us some stuff. I think mostly in this case, the people who you might say are supporting him that you don't like, like maybe a Jeb Bush, who's kind of a very soft Republican or people like that. What are they going to do? Support Donald Trump? Because they're not, because they're not Trump Republicans, right? And so look, he's going to get support from people we love and people we don't love so much. You're going to have to do that if you're going to run for president. We don't know what DeSantis's foreign policy looks like. And that does make me nervous. I did like Trump on foreign policy, generally speaking. I think he did a great job. He moved the embassy in Israel, something that multiple presidents had promised to do and had not done. He was a great friend to Israel. I think that's super important. I think he understood real politic around the world, meaning like it's not just what we wish things were, it's how things actually are. I think Trump's unpredictability was good. It made the U.S. strong. It made people fear the U.S. And, and that's what we want. We want other nations to fear us. They don't know exactly how we're going to react uh, if they act poorly, and our allies know that we will stand with them when they behave appropriately. I also love the fact that Trump pushed uh, NATO for other countries to contribute to NATO. That was something that needed to be done for a long time. Trump was willing to do it. Would DeSantis do that kind of stuff? We just don't know. 
And so I'm not saying he wouldn't. I'm not saying he's bad on foreign policy. I'm saying we don't even know his stated foreign policy positions yet. I think he's fumbled around a little bit on Ukraine. So that worries me. And we don't really know his economic policies because being a governor of a state, really, it's not about economic policies, national economic policies, foreign trade, how you use your economy in the world. That stuff is different. So I think we just don't know. But I would say on the bright side, man, he brings the receipts. He has done the list of conservative things in Florida. I think he is in, inarguably the best conservative governor of my lifetime. He's taken a purple state and turned it deep red. He's done a great job there. Florida is thriving. All my friends in Florida love him as governor. That's one of the problems with him running for president. Who's the next governor of Florida? I'm a little bit worried about that. So that's Ron DeSantis. Vivek Ramaswamy, he's an endorser of Convention of States. Oh, by the way, I almost forgot. Ron DeSantis is an endorser of Convention of States. Vivek Ramaswamy is an endorser of Convention of States. Almost everything I hear that guy say, I just say, yep, mm -hmm. that's good. I love that. He's a clear communicator. He's unequivocal on his positions. Now he's way down in the polls. Does he actually have a chance? I don't know, but I think he can help define the race. And I think that's really interesting. Tim Scott, to me, I don't get the campaign. Like I, I don't get his lane. Um, and I, I just don't understand what he's going to do. He's a guy who has not endorsed convention of States, by the way, he's not taken a position on it. Uh, neither has Nikki Haley publicly. She said in private to a bunch of her activists that she supports it. Chris Christie. I have no idea. Pence. I have no idea. Although he was governor and he said quietly behind the scenes that he supported us when we passed in Indiana, but he never came out front. I think that's part of his inherent caution which I really don't like in a presidential contender. But let's put it this way. Love it or hate it, it's going to be a big field. I don't think we've named all the people that are going to end up in the race. And I think it's going to be a big field, maybe a big crowded debate stage, not run by Democrats this time, which I think is really good. The RNC has said they're not participating in the Democrat run debates. So I think that's a good thing. And again, I'm not going to weigh in. So look, don't get mad at me because I'm not a Trump guy or I'm not a... Scott guy, or I'm not a Ramaswamy guy, or I'm not a DeSantis guy. Don't get mad at me for that. Everybody get mad at me if I chose a candidate right now who you didn't like. So I'm not choosing, I'm not bashing, but I will be critical and I will be praising candidates just based on what they do and how it goes through the race. One of the things that I think we have to be really concerned about in the race right now is where is the RNC? So we saw a race in the RNC for the chair of the RNC between Ronna McDaniel, and it was really Harmeet Dillon was the other real contender. Uh, I know that uh, Mr. My Pillow guy was in the race, but really not in the race. If you look at who the contenders were, it was Harmeet Dillon and it was Ronna McDaniel. And I openly supported Ronna McDaniel. And the reason I did is because when I look at what, uh, when I, I supported, I don't know if I said that correctly, I supported Harmeet Dillon, not Ronna McDaniel. And I supported Harmeet because I looked at Ronna McDaniel and said, she's lost multiple races in a row. The RNC has failed. Uh, it's antiquated. It's outdated. It's got a lot of internal problems. She didn't fix those in multiple terms. So let's try somebody new. And Harmeet's been a warrior for conservative causes. And she said she was going to go in. She was really going to look at how things were run and really going to stir it up. And so the status quo won out. Ronna McDaniel became head of the RNC. So I hope and pray and work for the best for the RNC. And here's what I'm wondering right now, though. Where's Ronna McDaniel? What's the plan? Because if there's a plan, if they have a victory plan, I haven't heard it. When Ronna McDaniel's out and she's a talking head on any of these shows, all I've heard her do is talk about policy. Well, that ain't her job. Her job is to win elections 
for Republican candidates. And I haven't seen a plan for that. I haven't seen any heads roll inside the RNC. I haven't seen any reports on what they did wrong in the last election, which is a lot. It goes from top to bottom and side to side. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be changed, improved, rejiggered. I haven't seen any indication that they've done any of that. I haven't heard any reports of any heads rolling. I haven't seen any new programs introduced. And it looks like we're going to be behind the eight ball again because the RNC is going to do the same old thing. And the same old thing means losing. And so, look, I just want to know, there's the old adage, right? If you don't have a plan, then you have a plan to fail. And I don't see the plan. And so I think, look, if, you're, if you participate in the RNC, if you give the RNC money, uh, if you got local uh, arms of the RNC in your local community, local party chapters, ask them, what in the heck is the RNC's plan? And this is for Ronna McDaniel. I doubt she watches the show, but really, Ronna, come on, give us a plan. Tell us what you've got going on. We need to know. We want to be enthused. We want to have hope. You're not giving Republicans any hope. There's a fight going on right now in an arena where I have a lot of hope, and that's on Twitter. And I think since Elon Musk took over Twitter, it's unequivocally better. It's better in every way. Lots of the woke employees have been fired. The woke staff is gone for the most part, as far as I can tell. They're running on a skeleton crew. The technology is working. It's being improved. It's better than ever. I paid for my blue check personally. I know a lot of people were offended by that. Eight bucks a month, really, like to support the platform, which is what I want to do, which is now a free speech platform. But I'm willing to do that. I'm I'm willing to, willing to support Elon Musk and what he did. The guy threw out $44 billion. He's willing to put his own fortune on the line for free speech. But I'm going to say that's in question right now. There is a controversy that has broken out. Daily Wire Jeremy Boring, the CEO, who's a friend of Convention of States, a friend of ours, he cut a deal. They cut a deal with Twitter, and apparently they were going to put What is a Woman on the platform for free for 12 hours. This is the one-year anniversary of that movie. By the way, if you haven't seen that movie, it's worth, worth the price of admission to Daily Wire to subscribe to see the movie. But they were going to show it 12 hours for free on Twitter. They cut their deal with Twitter. They sent a screener to Twitter to watch it. And Twitter then said... They're not going to show it or they're going to cancel the deal because there's misgendering that takes place in that movie. Yeah, think it's all about the whole madness of gender ideology. <clears throat> they pointed out a couple specific instances of misgendering that they say take place in it. <clears throat> First of all, misgendering is not a thing. Misgendering means, according to the left, you actually said somebody's real gender. And so the idea that that could be still part of the culture at Twitter is disgusting and despicable if it's real. Now, Jeremy Boring's been tweeting about that. Uh, and so I think it's important you follow that Twitter thread if you're on Twitter now. I used to not do anything on Twitter, by the way. I try to be on Twitter every day now because I think it's a free speech platform once again. So I'm happy to be there. I'm happy to participate in free speech debates. And I talk about gender ideology. So I'm wondering, am I going to get banned for misgendering or throttled for misgendering? I think Elon needs to weigh in on this. And I think we need to see Daily Wire. They're willing to spend the money to do this. We need to see them be able to have the promotion to show what is a woman for free to everybody on Twitter. I think that would be epic. I think it should be done. And again, if you haven't seen What is a Woman, Matt Walsh's documentary on the madness of the trans movement, transing the kids and all this sick, insane stuff, then I would say go to dailywire.com, sign up, become a member and watch it, whether you get to see it for free on Twitter or not. But that's a controversy to watch explode. Now, I've been 
getting engaged in something called the anti 30 by 30 movement. And what I'm finding is most people don't know what this is. So what is 30 by 30? And why should you worry about this? If you want to know more than I'm going to talk about tonight, you want to go to American Stewards of Liberty. I think it's, uh, I'll have to look at the website. I'll producer G put this on American Stewards of Liberty us is what I believe the website is. You want to go look at that and look at the 30 by 30 plan. This is a Biden administration plan to essentially take 30% of the United States landmass and water and put it under government control by 2030. 30% of the landmass. This is an outrageous abuse and attack on private property rights. Remember, the, the World Economic Forum says, and Klaus Schwab and all his cronies, that includes almost anybody in democratic politics today, that you shouldn't have private property, that you shouldn't own anything, and that you should be happy about it. Well, this is part of it. They're going to take all that land, take it out of private hands, and put it into government hands, and they call it the 30 by 30 plan, 30% 30 by 2030. This is something that you should be terrified about. So if you're not familiar with this, go to americanstewardsofliberty.us. Uh, Producer G is going to put that up on the screen so you can know where to go and get involved in that. Convention of States is starting to get involved in it. We have activists around the country that are very aware of this. I'm going to be looking for people specifically New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Iowa. So write to us, write to Producer G if you're interested in being involved in this after you look up American Stewards for Liberty, because we're going to be involved in those because those are early presidential states. We want the presidential contenders to be paying attention to this. Foundational to the American system of governance, foundational to the American experience, foundational to liberty, biblically speaking, is the concept of private property. And so you absolutely need to be knowing what 30, 30, 30 by 30 is, engaged in fighting back against 30 by 30. Uh, you can do that. Again, go to americanstewardsofliberty.us. Uh, Producer Gio put it up on the screen so you guys can just click on that link and, and know exactly what that is and be involved in it. We're going to be getting involved in it. I'm going to be getting involved in it. All right, last but not least, before we go to Q&A, is what's up with Convention of States. Right now, live still and very active is the North Carolina legislature we passed in the House. Most of you are aware of that. It's in the Senate. And right now, the only question is, does the Senate have the fortitude to vote on it? And I think they do. I would say right now we have the votes, but things are often different in caucus, in private, than there in public. I can tell you our whip count says we have the votes. If you're in North Carolina right now, you need to be contacting your senator every way you possibly can to let them know to move the Convention of States resolution forward vote for it on the floor and to get it done. And that would make state number 21. All right, I have a few questions here, Q&A to end this. Uh, first question is from Biff Tannen. And Biff asks, what's the stated reason that drunk Dem Dade brigades impeaching Paxton for? Ken Paxton is the attorney general of Texas. He's now been impeached by the House of Representatives. That is a, an embarrassment to Texas. It's a national embarrassment. Ken Paxton is the single most aggressive, effective, Attorney, state attorney general against the Biden administration out there. And the Republicans and the Democrats acting together impeached him. They, they filed articles of impeachment and passed those articles against him. It'll now go over to the Senate for the trial. And what this is, the real reason, so you know, Biff, the stated reason is uh, old charges, old financial fraud charges, which were before his tenure, which judges have already ruled, by the way. It was like trying to fit a round peg in a square hole, and that those charges didn't hold any water, but they're still outstanding to just tarnish him. It's about stuff that he did while in office, 
He cleaned a conspiracy out of his office. He was investigating that. And the guys who are being investigated for that conspiracy, for that obstruction of justice, are claiming that he did something wrong in removing them. I don't believe that. And the main reason they're doing this is to preserve the status quo. In other words, this is being done by the forces of evil inside the Republican Party and inside the Democrat Party conspiring against a guy that's an effective reformer. And that always happens when you try to do reform, the status quo will fight back. That's the real reason, right? The real reason is to prevent a reformer from continuing to gain power. And by the way, if they remove Ken Paxton, I'm going to tell you next is Dan Patrick, and he's the, the, uh, the lieutenant governor, the leader of the Senate in Texas. And then it's going to be a dark decade in Texas. Because if you look at our house, our house is terrible. You've got the Drunk Dade Brigade. Drunk Dade is our speaker who was drunk on the floor of the House of Representatives leading the floor. It's, it's a shameful, shameful incident. He hasn't even addressed it. It's You can go look it up. Drunk Dade Phelan, P-H-E-L-A-N. He was out of his mind drunk leading... Uh, a session on the floor of the House of Representatives a couple of weeks ago. I don't know how that's allowed. I don't know how he can do that and still be speaker. He's never even said a word about it. Like he just pretends it doesn't exist. This is what happens when you're drunk with power. You can do terrible things and there are no consequences. So there need to be consequences for that. Dade Phelan needs to go, in my opinion. And Ken Paxton needs to beat these charges in the Senate. There'll be a trial in the Senate. I feel pretty good about how it's going to come out. But y'all need to be involved if you're here in Texas. Uh, next question is, from DWB 812, doesn't Article 3, Section 3 say that not securing our border is equal to giving aid and comfort to our enemies? And isn't that treasonous? That's actually not within the definition of treason, having an open border. And you can argue that there's some equivalency there, but that's not really what treason cases have held. It's not about policy. It's about actual working specifically intentionally with the enemy. And while I think that's the actual effect of these policies, I don't think there's any evidence. I don't, I don't think Biden's sitting down at the table with the cartels or sitting down at the table with governments that don't want to overthrow the United States, like the Chinese government and saying, hey, I'm going to do this to betray the United States of America. And to be claimed as treason, it's a very high standard. It is a death penalty standard. And so I understand why it's a high standard. And maybe in the modern world, we need to broaden the definition of treason. I don't know probably get used against people like us more than it would be get, get used against the left. So that's uh, that's that on the treason stuff. I appreciate you guys asking questions and sending in comments. We like that. One last thing we talked about, maybe uh, taking a respite for the summer and taking some time off from the battle cry. I'll tell you, there was a pretty strong hue and cry to stay on. Some people said, well, maybe you want to take it. We didn't get a clear answer from y'all. So for now, I think we're going to keep doing it. We might take a little bit of time off in the summer based on my travel schedule. If y'all want us to keep doing it, please let us know you want us to keep doing the battle crime. I and we do get thousands and thousands of views. I'm skeptical of views on YouTube because views on YouTube, literally a view on YouTube or Facebook, that's like three or four seconds, right? That's it. So I don't know if people, how many people are actually watching over the long haul. I'm not going to pretend people are. I know a lot of people like they're so excited about their views. What I'm looking for is, do you appreciate the content? Do you come here to watch it every week because it matters to you? Because really, I'm not doing this for me. It's easier if I don't have to come join you on Sunday night and I could just hang out with my family. I love doing it because I love it if I know you're watching it and it matters to you. Because my job ultimately is to serve the grassroots. And the reason I want to serve the grassroots is so that you don't lose hope. By the way, one of the ways you could not lose hope 
is you can go to our gear store. You can go to conventionofstates.com forward slash store. Buy cool hats like this. A lot of new cool shirts coming online here. The cool socks are there. The cool thermoses are there for your summer drinks. The cool koozies are there for your beers out by the pool or your coolers out by the pool. Go to conventionofstates.com forward slash store. And last but not least, become a monthly donor. Become one of our patriots who supports us. All I'm looking for from you guys, it's not that much, really. $1 a day. Like if you buy a cup of coffee every day, you're spending way more than a dollar a day. If you buy a donut now and then, you're probably spending way more than a dollar a day. If you're buying lunch at work, you're spending way more than a dollar a day. So save on something else. Spend a dollar a day. We're looking for 10,000 patriots to join us. One dollar a day. That makes a huge difference. It allows us to keep the grassroots on the ground all over the country and to make sure we're doing what we do, which is to support you. So don't lose hope. I'm there with you. Hopefully we'll see you next Sunday on The Battle. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. Thank you for listening.